and welcome to On the Road with Supernatural, the podcast where we watch and discuss Supernatural episode to episode from the beginning. I'm Jasper Graydon. I'm Jordan Graham. And I'm Allie. And we'll be your hosts for this Monster of the Week journey through American folklore and Christian mythology. Welcome to season two. Woo! (laughs) Very excited. Made it past that horrific mess. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Season one. Some high highs, some very low lows. Yeah. Yikes. And season two is all new for me, so Yay. get ready. I'm going to have lots of opinions, I promise. I'm I'm so excited for that. <laughs> yes. Do, do you have any, like, big expectations? Um, big. Or, like, hopes, fears? I'm ready to see the Supernatural Universe expanded as a whole. Because I feel like yeah. we got that in the, f- the finale of last season a lot. They're mm-hmm. like, we kind of have these big bads. These bads have, like, big plans. And then we have uh, also, like, the introduction of Bobby and, like, that there Bobby. are other hunters. <laughs> Bobby. <laughs> so I'm ready. Yeah, that's what I'm most excited for, just to see, like, how not only how, like, the characters evolve, but also how the world itself. Yeah, world yeah. building. We mm-hmm. love to world build. Mm-hmm. I'm just, like, super pumped for season two. Season mm-hmm. two is really, really underrated, in my opinion. Like, yeah, there are only a few episodes that I don't particularly mm-hmm. care for. And, like, other than that, like, it's just banger after banger. It feels like we get a story arc in this season. Yeah. Which is something we were lacking, so I'm yeah, so Yeah, like, even in the really Monster of the Weeky mm-hmm. kind of episodes, there's always something that ties you into either an overworld mm-hmm. or an overarching narrative, which I really appreciate and was definitely missing from season one. Yeah, I think that's what season one our big complaint was or at least my big complaint was with most of the episodes it's just like a lot of them just really fell flat like the idea was there and then they weren't able to pursue it so i'm excited to hear that that might come through a little bit more in season two yeah today's episode is season two episode one in my time of dying you know the one with that really great slow motion coffee spill (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm funny. This episode was written by Eric Kripke and directed by Kim Manners and originally aired on September 28th, 2006. I love that we jump into the season two premiere and it's like suddenly Grey's Anatomy. Right? (laughs) I was getting big Grey vibes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I mean, like, obviously, like the very opening of it, it's like, you know, the focusing on the car crash and the demon and Mm -hmm. playing CCR in the background. Yeah, that's very, like, on-brand supernatural stuff. But, like, immediately after, (laughs) they're, like, talking about sinus rhythms and everyone's screaming. (laughs) I think I was sitting here stupidly laughing in the serious scene because the demon comes up and I was like, the demon yeets itself from the body. We need a good word for demon, like, expelling itself. Yeah. And in my mind, I was, like, yarding. (laughs) Yart? Yart. (laughs) Yart out of his body. (laughs) What the fuck? Damn, dude, you just yarded. (laughs) (laughs) What the fuck? I mean, it does... I, I kind of get it because, like, making that vowel opens mm-hmm. the mouth and they have to open their mouth to do it. Like, yeet, like, pulls at the yeah. lips. Yeah, it has to be something, like, outward bounce. Yeah, yart is very throaty. <laughs> and also, Jesus. like, it rhymes with fart, which is another form of expelling as well, so... <laughs> I just have to say, like, I thought this intro was really brave. Like, they Mm -hmm. really just were throwing you in there. I love that. Yeah, I was like, there was, like, no time passage since the end of the first season finale. It was right into it. It was very high emotion at the beginning. They didn't give you, like, any time to process, which I really like. Yeah, it raises the emotional Mm -hmm. stakes immediately when you're just thrust into a high anxiety situation. But even still, they sort of compromise with the idea of the cold open Mm -hmm. because there's the twist right at the end, right before the title sequence. They're like, oh, fuck, Dean's in a coma. So it still sort of has like the spirit of the cold open without actually Mm -hmm. 
doing that and I like I think it's so fun I love when they play with like the prologues in that way yes I have just two teeny issues with this start Mm. Um, the first one is Dean looks like he just crawled over and has taken a little nap in the car. Like, if mm-hmm. if you've ever been in a car crash, like, that's how, not how you end up. There's a reason for that, too, and it's just mm-hmm. rating. They're only yeah. allowed to show so much blood on. Well, I mean, just the position. That, yeah. It's so, like, just curled up over here. Yeah. Um, and then it's nighttime, and we assume that man, when the demon yarts itself from his body... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, but we assume then he's going to like call 911 and it's still dark out. And then the helicopter arrives with the and sun at the midpoint sun, of the yeah. sky. Yeah. Like directly over them. So I'm assuming like 2 p.m. Right. And just that continuity got me. Yeah. I mean, that bit is kind of, yeah. Yeah. I was like, no wonder Dean is in critical condition. They like left him sitting in the car for like eight hours. Yeah. To me, it's like like, laying down with X eyes. Yeah. (laughs) We jumped into a scene from 911. Like it just suddenly (gasps) show. So we do kind of get that cold open adjacent with Dean walking around, which I thought was really well done. I really like that. And I really like for like the out of body mm-hmm. watching yourself die. I thought it was really done with Dean, especially in the realm of his character dealing with death and an acceptance of death has kind of been like something Dean has dealt with quite a lot in the first season. So to have him again put in this position so early on, thought it was a really good chance for some like character growth from him. I also love yeah. how they slowly led into the knowledge. Like the first clue is that when he jumps out of the bed, you don't hear the footfall. Right. Yes. And I love how that's such a teeny thing before you get to the nurse where yeah, it's more details. Right, right, right. What is it with like whenever they have doctors on this show they're just like the most fucking insensitive (laughs) worst bedside manner they're like here's the technical information that i'm explaining to you um you better suck it up he's gonna die and then they're like peace like for real (laughs) yeah the bedside manners are zero i like it it feels real I don't know. I've never had doctors act like that mean. Usually when they're talking about death, at least, they're a little more easing you into it. Maybe I just had like very straightforward ones. Uh, yeah. 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 Because they even were like, he could have rephrased that like, oh, there's not, you know, it's the chances aren't looking good. So you should prepare yourself for the worse or like something. He's not going to be like, well, he's probably going to die. <laughs> I thought it was a little, I don't know, a little I abrasive. I just think it's funny. That's, it's yeah. like the same exact attitude that the doctor had in Faith, actually. Mm-hmm. Except for the one weird episode where they were, like, in um, Toledo, Ohio, with the, like, sassy corner. I don't think they always put <laughs> oh. a lot of effort into just the people in the world. Yeah. Like, just as a show. Yeah, especially background or people with, like, one, two lines. It feels like if they're pretty minor character, they get nothing. Right. The director's just like, fuck you. Which is so weird because we talk about the detail of, like, not hearing the foot hit Mm -hmm. the floor. And then now we're talking about, like, the detail of, like, actual characterization of your world. And I'm like, they're falling flat a little there. But yeah, I I think it probably just depends who's writing the episode. Because I'm thinking of in, was it Hell House? All of the townies were so rich. Oh, that's that's another one. Yeah. Mm, Yeah. So, are we ready to talk about the conversation between John and Sam? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm a big wrestling fan, and I always am <laughs> use. It's a really weird comparison, I know. But if you ever watch wrestling, there's like the good guy at some point always has to be a bad guy. And then they always get a redemption arc. And I just like knew when John was being like 10 out of 10 asshole, I knew I'm like, oh my God, this is going to be a John redemption episode. And I just was like, oh, why didn't he just die? Boo. I don't know why. I actually wrote that exact down. I said, why didn't he just die? Boo. In my notes. Okay, I don't know why, but I think he looks, like, particularly hot in this ex- episode. You! I knew you were going to say something weird about him. I heard you make some kind of fucking weird noise while we were watching it, and I was like, Allie's going to say something I don't like. <laughs> and I don't know if it's, like, the blood or something. Oh, like. my God, Allie. I think it's because of the way, like, 
he's like his hair is like perfectly yes. tussled and like his character is acting very a lot kinder and softer than normal which schools his features into a less harsh yeah and i'm sure a lot of that may have to do even with the way lighting is on him throughout the episode too to like reflect a less contentious and it might be like the i hate facial hair but the facial hair looks great in this and with the little dimples <laughs> highlighted by it i'm like mm, papa winchester ew, ew. Allie, uh, <laughs> god uh, even if i wasn't gay <laughs> disgusting <laughs> But yeah, the second I knew he was just, like, real... Because, like, him and Sam weren't just, like, having a normal tiff. Like, they got, like, a full-blown argument. And, yeah, like, they weren't even trying to, like, conceal the fact that they were screaming about demon possession yeah. and other crap. They were just like, bah! In the middle of a, of a <laughs> public hospital. space. Yeah. And, like, people don't realize how many security guards are in hospitals. Yeah, they weren't even yeah. just talking about demons. They were, like, talking about, like, smuggling guns in yeah, their coats and, right. like, shit, too. And even if you're, like, somewhat loud, the security guards are on it immediately. <laughs> like, right, right, right. Actually, though, I will say there was like a juxtaposition here between this when um, Sam first goes into Dean's room and Dean is the spirit watching Sam and like they both talk about the I need to find like yeah, a hoodoo, yeah, yeah, the go find some quote hoodoo, hoodoo priest, priest. To, to lay some mojo on him or whatever. I love that. Yeah, like in that scene. And it's not just that line of dialogue. He also says the like, are we supposed to just sit here with our thumbs up our ass or whatever, which is such a Dean line. Yeah. Yes. I, just, I love how he's sort of like embodying spirit of Dean a little bit in that moment. Because it kind of, I just like how it shows how in sync Dean and Sam like actually are. Like they work, yes. they've like grown and they work in tandem so well. And then the yeah. second John is involved, Ugh. that's when things always get derailed. Right. So quickly. That's funny because when you, the hoodoo line, I specifically cringed at because I'm like, here we go. Let's fuck up some other cultural appropriation. Oh, yeah, no, totally. And this is one of their like fucking throwaway lines Yay. that they yes. use for the whole series when they're like, I don't know how to deal with this. Let's find some fucking hoodoo priest, blah, yeah. blah, blah. I'm like, shush. Shush. <laughs> <laughs> After their little fight, John gives a to-do list, sends Sam out on a bunch of errands. Yeah. And then that's when we get the second appearance of Bobby. And actually, this scene was kind of hard because I, I didn't even think about in the wreck, like the Impala getting crashed and like what that would mean for Dean. Especially like, yeah. obviously you've all watched this, so I'm not spoiling anything, but like, you know, John dying in the end and then after finding out his dad's dead, having to go and then find that the Impala is like no more. I'm just like, oh, that's gonna suck so much yeah, for him. Yeah, and that scene is so tender and raw also because the Impala is like a stand-in for Dean in yes. that scene and Bobby's like, oh, it's completely wrecked. There's yes. like, there's no way to put it back together. You should mm-hmm. just leave it and move on. And then and Sam's like, Sam- even if there's only one piece of it <gasps> left. <laughs> I will say Bobby's characterization here, he is like the only person in the series ever to be able to like read a room. Yeah, <laughs> right. He's like, like, okay, Sam. Okay, Sam. Yeah, he's like the only person who was like, oh, Sam is obviously upset. I'm not gonna like push him. Right. Yeah. Oh, I love Bobby. I want to spin off where Bobby adopts Millie Bobby Brown and it's just the actress. Two- <laughs> yes. Oh. Go on the character together. Bobby with Millie Bobby Brown, yes. the actress. Specifically. I'm gonna try and find this fan fiction. <laughs> <laughs> Please. I was thinking while we were watching it that you, Jordan, would be super into the scene. It's it's just before this uh, junkyard scene where it's still Sam yelling at John, but he's like, your son is dying and you're asking me about the cult? I just, I love, I love that so much. There's yeah. so much Sam not taking anyone's shit Yeah, no, I really episode. love that. And I was like so excited at first, but it was actually like in that moment that I'm like, this is a swerve. I know it. The reason John isn't being an asshole is he had like some plan kind of going in the back of his head. And it made me so sad because I really just wanted to hate John this episode. (laughs) Right. I think I'll make you feel better because there's still things to hate about John in this episode, to be honest. Absolutely. Also talking about that scene, there's like the teeniest moment, but Dean's spirit is in the corner and is like, yeah, 
I'm calling bullshit right now. Because John is like, I don't know anything about nothing. I love that consistently Dean is the one with the bullshit meter that is pinging all the time. Yes. Because it wasn't like that in the beginning of season one. Like, Dean was the one that really wanted to believe in his dad. Right. So I thought it was exciting. But actually, yeah, when we get back from the junkyard, this was the most infuriating of the arguments. Specifically because... Yeah. There's, like, the one specific line where, you know, Sam is, like... Selfish obsession. Yeah, your selfish obsession. He's, like, what the hell kind of father are you? Mm -hmm. And then Jeffrey D. Morgan is, like, you know, this isn't my fight. I thought this was our fight. Like, I think you're mixing up two different scenes. Okay, I might be. Yeah, because there's the one where... Dean, as the ghost, is yelling at John, and it's Dean that says, what kind of father are you, in that moment. Oh, you're correct, you're correct. I should have marked, I wrote down the quote, but not... Who said it? Who said it? I love, I love that part. Yes. Because, like, it's not like we really get to see him, like, we've seen him be unsure and take Sam's side, but we haven't seen him, like, go off like that. And he has the security of John not being able to interact with him, so he can just say whatever the fuck is actually on his mind. Exactly. He has the distance and, like, the safety to do that. Because, like, the thing is, is (laughs) I gave up everything for you. Well, and then Dean, after (laughs) that, too, specifically says, like, you're not even calling anyone, which means, like, Dean knows that he knows, like, Mm -hmm. he knows how to help him. And he's Mm -hmm. not doing it. But yeah, the Sam one. The Sam one. And he was like, it was, it's your, obs- I thought it was your obsession too. And you begged me to do this. Oh, I heard, I heard yeah. you make a squeak Yeah. during that. And I was like, we're going to hear about this convo. Well, cause, so it was. So aggravating. So that part was aggravating. But the part that aggravated me the most, and that is, and this is when I was like really hating John. Because even if John had in his mind that he was actually going to help Dean later, he blame Sam he was Mm -hmm. like we wouldn't even be in this situation if it wasn't for you right and I'm like if Dean actually does die it's absolutely not true probably gonna stick with him literally forever Mm -hmm. yeah and I feel like John always does this when he's backed into a corner he's like oh Sam has backed me into a corner I'm gonna then now blame everything on him I'm gonna completely 180 it and to me it felt like this is another case Like, I would use this in evidence to prove that John Winchester is a narcissist. Because when you're a narcissist, you can't handle seeing yourself as at fault. Right. So genuinely, like, they were how they see the world for it to be someone else's fault. And this very much felt like not John having a plan, but right. <laughs> John being like, oh, I can't handle this blame subconsciously and being right. like, this is you. Well, he's also just so like, there's no reason for him to be so like mysterious. Yes. Mm-hmm. I understand feeling like, okay, if I tell Sam that I'm going to make a demon deal to save Dean's life, he's going to flip out and not... Try and stop it. Yeah, or, and try yeah. and stop it. But he could still lean on the fact that he doesn't elucidate what he's doing mm. most of the time and use that to semi-reveal what he's doing. Instead of just being like, I have a plan. He could be like, I have a plan to save your brother. I can't tell you about it, yeah. but I promise that I'm not just Sitting twiddling here. my yeah. thumbs. Yes. And I'm like, I, see, that's something that just, like, fucking pisses me off the whole the whole time. It's just like, oh, you, you don't want to fight with Sam? Oh, you don't? Well, why don't you just fucking tell him what's going mm-hmm. on in any capacity? Or, like, at the very least, he's already shown that, like, Sam is willing to go, like, pick things or get things mm-hmm. for him. Like, just send him on an errand. Like, Sam doesn't even yeah. have to be there. Right. Or have him go sit in Dean's room like, you should go watch your brother. Tell it's him so easy. blue flowers, red thorn. Like, send him right, over right. on some ridiculous stupid thing yeah but speaking of his plan yeah do you want to know how to sell your soul to a demon oh my god (laughs) okay is this is this different from how to summon a demon yes because this is then how to sell your soul oh right okay so we got part one of course. Which was how to summon. Yeah. And, um, now, and we don't we don't endorse summoning no. or soul selling. Yeah. We don't endorse <laughs> either, but especially not selling your soul. <laughs> but there is a very great article on Riker.com. Something like that. It's listed in our sources. It's wonderful, and I want to explain to you the easy process. So first of all, find the demon. There's the junction of highways in Mississippi. 
Seven Gates of Hell in Pennsylvania. That's in the woods. That's a little difficult. I recommend Gates of Hell in New Jersey. Mm. Of yeah. course. Or in the sewers. Summon It, which we've been through. Yes. yes, of course. Um, Step two, make sure you know how to propose the deal. From 1676 in Pignerol, Italy, they said, quote, Lucifer, you are bound to deliver me immediately 100,000 pounds of money in gold. You will deliver t- in the first Tuesday of every month 1,000 pounds. You will bring me this gold in current money of such kind that not only I, but all those to whom I may wish to give some money may use it. That was a very syntactically strange sentence. Yes. It was hard to read. <laughs> But basically be specific, but we'll get into that. Protection. There are two types of protection. First of all, physically. Stand in a pentagram that you have drawn. Wait, if you're already selling your soul, what kind of fucking protection do you really need? Well, you also need the legal side of protection. Ah. Bring an attorney and a notary. Are you fucking serious right now? Yes. Make sure... (laughs) There is someone to look over this deal for you. What the fuck? And also, what to ask for? Don't sell yourself short. But make sure you're specific enough. This is like a genie situation where mm. you gotta be specific so they don't fuck you over. Yes. Right. If you're questioning how much you're worth, in the song, traditionally at least a gold fiddle, which was 167k in 1979. However, if we're talking body worth which I'm assuming your soul is worth more. If you were able to harvest all your body and everything in it on the black market, you'd make $45 million. Huh. More practically, though, you'd make 550000 which with, like, what you could practically harvest. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to say more than that. That's, like, a bare minimum. Okay. Okay. Makes sense. Okay. Um, are, do you want to get out of it? Just get an exorcism. But the hard part isn't getting it. It's convincing the Catholic Church that you deserve one after you willingly sold your soul to the devil. Well, they don't have to know that. So lie. So lie. <laughs> you're, you've already done it. Like, Yeah, you know, why the fuck not at that point? Best time, the witch's Sabbath or 3 a.m. Which demon is right for you? Do your research and choose your match. Use a high-level one, but don't go for a trickster. Hmm. Yeah, Never that, that a trickster. seems that seems like a bad. I bad assume idea. it's also where their protection would come into to make sure you're getting your your real deal. You don't want to be attorney. catfished by a demon. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh my god! And then the moral gray area. Oh, isn't the whole thing a moral gray area? <laughs> <laughs> the deeper gray area. <laughs> the we need, we the need to go deeper. <laughs> Can you use someone else's soul? I don't think that's morally gray. That's like actually <laughs> evil. <Allie. laughs> I'm going to quote the article on this one. The general consensus online is that you have to sell your own soul to the devil. Although that opinion is mostly coming from prudes who are afraid to reach out and take what they want. Oh, well, okay then. It's definitely an incredibly fucked up thing to do to someone, but there's at least one internet witch who wants you to be your bad self. What the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) So, John Wischester... There are your tips. No one else do this. And remember, when it comes to selling your soul, it is a buyer's market. So yes. beware. Beware. Get your fucking worth. Jesus Christ. And then convince the Catholic Church to give you an exorcism. Yeah. Yes. yes. Very important step. I have a question, though. If you get the exorcism, does the demon stop bringing you the gold each month? Probably, yeah. Yeah. yeah I would assume so. Mm-hmm. Because you're tying off your contract, so. Yeah. That pathway is gone. What happens after you die? I don't know. Yeah, don't sue me for this. <laughs> I'm going to sue death. you from hell. <laughs> sue you from hell. <laughs> I get to hell and I'm like, oh, fuck, this is all Allie's I'm fault. sure there are plenty of lawyers down there. Where's my lawyer? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> You're so person. right, Jordan. Mm-hmm. So I want to pull us back into the episode because I liked this moment. This is uh, when we get the Swayze reference. When He's he... such a cutie. Yeah. I was like such a Dean moment when he can like actually finds out he can like kind of interact with the world a little bit. Which... My favorite part of him referencing that movie is that it's like straight up like a romance. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> he is so soft. 
Aww, his little guy, in the movie. little guy, and his stupid gay crush on Patrick Swayze. Mm-hmm. I bet he wants a man to just wrap his arms around him from ghosthood Aww. and shape pottery. Aww. But I think after this is then when he goes back to his room and sees the ghost floating the, the spirit reaper. the yeah. reaper yeah so which is cool i'm glad that we have a continuing monster mm-hmm. world building yeah world we're building. already getting it also a little callback from early in season one if i can touch it i can kill it mm-hmm. yeah yeah because that they had that whole stupid conversation about the word corporeal so he gets kind of knocked back by the spirit when he figures out he can touch it. And then, coincidentally, Dean, after he comes to, he hears another woman yelling from the hospital and he finds Tessa. How long did it take you to figure out that Tessa was the Reaper? I had an inkling immediately just because I was like, why is Dean in his like death PJs? And then Tessa <laughs> is like fully got the beat, but... I think that's just because of sexism yeah Yeah, honestly (laughs) i didn't realize until dean told us really yeah because i just i enjoy going with this story right but i thought it was kind of like one of those experiences where the people in between are in their death states Mm-hmm. So maybe yes. she was dressed up when she had oh, nearly I, died. I get what you're saying. Like with regards to her yeah. shirt and makeup and makeup and whatever. especially. But yeah, but when she had originally said the quote, you know, whatever happens, happens. I was like, girl, you're in there for appendicitis. Like I would be so mad if that's what took right. me out. But I actually really <laughs> liked her as the Reaper. Yeah, and I love her whole like change in demeanor. Yeah. 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 So she changes her demeanor, but she never she's always a little sassy yeah which i like i'm like you're a little sassy reaper i also love the idea of reapers in general this reminds me of the book thief and also if i stay which are two books that deal with the idea of like limbo and death and i just thought it was another fantastic addition to kind of the lore of death itself Mm -hmm. yes i agree i liked her i thought that was a really interesting way to handle the hunting as you know they say on the spirit board in the next scene where poor little dean he's He's like, I might die soon. Better go save some other people in the hospital. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. you small bean. Oh, poor guy. You I mean he's a caretaker through and through? Mm-hmm. We explore that, I think, in the last scene. Yeah. Poor baby. Do we want to talk about the scene where Sam gets the idea to pull out the spirit board? Because I really loved this. I love it. It was so campy. It was so cute. It was. And I love the idea that it would work. Like, that's the one thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I gotta say, though, like, as as much as I I love this and they're all like, yeah, yeah, Mm -hmm. whatever, Ouija board, it's stupid. Like, Dean says something like, I feel like I'm at a sleepover. Yeah. Or whatever. Slumber party, Mm -hmm. yeah. But... I, I feel like the hospital is probably the last place I would want to True. interact with a spirit board. I looked at that and I'm like, ooh. Like, I know we've talked about before, like, in this house, we do not fuck around with Ouija boards. Mm. I feel like going to a place where people, like, fucking die on the regular. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hospitals are, like, real fucking haunted. I would not, like, I would be terrified to do so that. that wasn't even the first time that I've had this thought. This has actually been something about the episode as a whole. This hospital felt very empty. Yes. Yeah. And I and not even just from the perspective of Dean, like, even from Sam's yes, perspective. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I think that's why I thought that Tessa was... Was it a reaper just because I assume more people would be in this state in a hospital? Right. I do want to talk about Ouija boards just briefly. Tell us all about them. I want to know. Our perception of Ouija boards is wildly different than it used to be. Ouija boards, the first ad for them in 1891 in Pittsburgh. Oh, wow. A toy and novelty shop said, Ouija, the wonderful talking board. And, of course, this came with the obsession with spiritualism, the Fox sisters. Yeah. Um, it's a time where people, the average lifespan's 50, so you're, you are having to deal with death. Right. And the way they were communicating before, they would wait for knocking, which is similar to our flashlight trick now. Right. Um, where you lightly screw a flashlight and then wait for it to flicker. Or you would have to, like, go through the alphabet saying, like, A, B, C, D, and wait for the knock to know which one to spell things. That's just so incredibly inefficient. So Mm time-consuming. So this was the way of, like, a shortcut to get it. Ha-ha! Tricked them. 
Yeah, and actually Ouija boards date back in Ohio to 1886, the oh. Associated Press. Yeah, we did something good for the world, mm-hmm. except bad, because but, yeah. we really don't play with Ouija boards. Um, They were made at home. They were similar. They weren't the end product, but the idea of writing things down and then being able to spell out. And then also, a lot of people think that Ouija is from we and ya, being French and German for yes. Mm. It is not. Oh. They actually asked the board what it should be called, and the board spelled out Ouija. They asked what it meant, and it said good luck. I don't like that. I don't like that at all. I don't like that at all. Mm. And Ouija boards actually weren't seen as spooky until really the 1920s. Ouija board was like a fun thing to do, and spiritualism was so huge and part of a society that Ouija boards were just part of life. And it wasn't until like the early, early 1900s that they started being seen as spooky. They were so popular to the point where one store in New York sold 50,000 Ouija boards in four months. Whoa! Yes. And there's also this famous drawing of this lovely couple and between them on the table is the Ouija board because it was just seen as something like casual and fun to do, like Mm -hmm. another board game. So the perception then is different from now. I also wonder what impact this has had. Like, I believe in Ouija boards. And if you do as well, what impact this has of how much it opened up in the United States specifically, like, because if so many people are summoning and calling things and not closing it properly. Oh, I see what you mean. Like, what kinds of opened pathways into other realms. Yeah, if you ever use a Ouija board, make sure you say thank you and goodbye. Yes, you have to close it, just like a circle. Mm-hmm. Close the circle, do it properly. Um, and it does make me curious, because we are a nation founded on bloodshed, so that might be part of why there are hauntings yeah. everywhere. But I do wonder if this is part of that account, too, because when I've traveled and like lived other places, it's very much been like historical sites are haunted, mm-hmm. but the general areas and like suburbs aren't. Right. So I wonder if this is part of it. Wild theory for you. I'm more curious about why Ouija boards are less popular now is like the decrease in mortality rate. I think it's yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think so. Like people, there's less interest in communicating. Yeah. Yeah. And now if we, like someone dies, it's a tragedy, but a rare tragedy. Yeah. Um, if someone dies young, it's not such a staple. And if you look back to spiritualism, it was so widespread that like famously um, Lincoln's wife was a huge spiritualist. Right, yeah. yeah. So the first lady of the United States, like that's how widespread. Now if you found out like Biden's wife was using Ouija boards and doing seances, (laughs) imagine how the Christians would respond. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I would honestly have like newfound respect for her. Yes. I would be like, oh, Oh, interesting. I probably actually know her name because I do not. Oh, Jill no, Biden. Uh, she's actually cooler than Joe Biden. I don't care. They're both fucking genocidal fascists. Yeah. So the only good thing about her is slightly the education, but just mm. not far enough for me. I don't know. She's married to some jackass elderly white dude who True. is dropping bombs on the Mideast, like throwing yeah. confetti. Yeah. Piece of shit. Anyway, I hope she beats Joe Biden up in their home. <laughs> what the? Fuck, Allie. <laughs> I hope she's like, fuck you for doing this. And just <laughs> That's a very deranged thing to say. I don't need to know about to the say. kinks of rich people. <laughs> no, it wouldn't be a kink. I don't want it to be. No. Well, so, now it's a kink. Now you've made it a kink. So after we get back from the spirit board scene, we have John, of course, is breaking his promise to Sam. And we see him... He goes to the boiler room. Yeah, he goes to the boiler I room. I love the boiler room scene. Yeah, that's where everyone in the hospital damn is. Yeah, they're just <laughs> hanging out in the fucking boiler room. Okay, but, like, really, talking about, like, using light and color appropriately, mm-hmm. the boiler room scenes are completely indicative of what I mean when I talk about, like, there's a time and a place for mm-hmm. for a really grim kind of look. Although I will say, the because Dean is a spirit for most of this episode, I think it's appropriate 
yeah. for most of this episode to be in that gray. But to all of the like really black and white lighting and the starkness of like mm-hmm. the fan and the use yeah. of light and shadow to sort of highlight the demon's eyes Ugh. and just everything that's going on. It's just so, so good. It is. It's a good scene. His eyes look like the mucus. Yeah. Of an incredibly sick person. Yeah. And it's so hard not to gag when they show them in the full light. Oh, I love it. It's I oh. also love his teeth that are, like, way too straight. They look like dentures. Yes. yes. I don't know. If maybe I just have, like, a weird association with, um... You know what? He, his teeth really remind me of the teeth of the villain in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. It's just, like, the weird, like, plasticky-looking, perfectly mm-hmm. straight. I don't know. It just freaks me out now. I guess I'm scarred from watching Who Framed Roger Rabbit when I was too young. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. And I think they're so perfectly straight, but then not super white, which isn't a bad thing. No, not at but all. But just that combination is like someone who's trying to look a certain way but doesn't understand humans and like gives me that weird feeling oh yeah a lot of his like facial mannerisms Mm -hmm. are very strange and like he yeah we're describing the same thing uncanny valley yes Yes. there's something extremely uncanny valley about that guy's face and just the way he acts as the yellow-eyed demon i think if he had normal eyes he'd be kind of hot all right Allie. so my question <laughs> okay. the, the the symbol the two like inverted triangles with the line between them is that something we've seen before in the show no but i think that might actually did you look that up ali no i did not i think that might actually be a specific sigil mm-hmm. yeah i was very curious yeah i wasn't sure what that was i knew it would make you mad when i think these guys are hot yeah, because they're, like, old-ass men, and they're crusty and evil. I wouldn't call them crusty. Allie likes them crusty. <laughs> yeah, I do. She likes her spaghetti with extra parmesan. Okay. Before this, I did like when he actually does the summoning, he gets interrupted by, I assume, like, a janitorial staff or a mechanic or electrician or something. And then immediately, of course, John is all like, yeah, I'm Mr. Cool Guy. I know mm-hmm. you're not. But, uh... I hate him. I hate him Sorry. So I much. just like that his whole attitude just yeah, makes me roll my especially eyes. Especially in that scene. And he goes from, like, this thing mattered more than my life to I'm gonna make a deal with him. Which I know we're supposed to read as him, like, being a good father for once. But just doesn't feel... Yeah, that I feel like, like there matches. was some, like, whiplash in yes. the characterization. Yeah, I get that. But I also recall that in either... 21 or 22 of season one he has a line of dialogue about like i can't let anything happen to the two of you like i already lost my wife and like but like when dean was dying he doesn't even show no i totally agree with you i'm just saying they do make a tiny crumb of effort to support this with text before it happens i agree there's still some whiplash also, the when the demon is actually talking to John, he's like, there's two things I know about you. And, like, one is that you're not, like, suicidally reckless. And I was like, mm-hmm. he's Are like, you a, sure? I was like, really? Is that what you know? <laughs> he's literally, like, berating Sam for not shooting him in the face. Right. <laughs> in this, like, episode. Not only is he suicidally reckless, he's also, like, constantly sending his kids out. Yes! To, like, yeah, he's like, I'm suicidally reckless, and you should be too. Yes. Here's how. <laughs> he's like, I'm suicidally le- reckless and homicidally reckless. Yeah. <laughs> you said homicidally, and it really felt like for the gay agenda. Yeah, I thought I thought you were going to be, like, homophobically. I was like, probably, considering his generation and his, yes. his whole, the whole rest of his demeanor, but that's just widely accepted fanon. I just like the word homicidally being like, I will kill you for gay love. I don't like that. I don't like that. Allie, what the fuck? Taking away your gay identity right now. Excuse you're straight me. now. <laughs> yes! <laughs> Don't do this. You drank the Kool Aid Alley. No, I you didn't. Slurped it up. Slurped it I'm... and gurped it. <laughs> gurped it. Can you just stop talking about old men being attractive? That's what's. Yeah. Yeah, in. you do. Yes. Yeah, I thought it was a cool scene. I liked it. 
of course, like I said from the beginning, I knew that John was planning something. So I get like this is really important for the characterization of all three characters, this scene and kind of John being willing to do this. But the thing is, is the both of the boys have also been like saying like there was the joke about like the hoodoo priest, Mm -hmm. that there's like other possible alternatives that they could have maybe explored first. Right. But maybe, maybe, maybe. And I think there there's a certain urgency is something. Yes. Something that that this episode pushes Mm -hmm. like they don't know how much longer Dean has because he has a severe brain bleed. Yes. So I I think it's just like desperate times, you know? Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I mean, still at the end of the day, John's going to do things the John way. Like, Oh oh my God. Yeah. But kind of intermittently between the summoning, we get more of Dean as a ghost, specifically in conversation with Tessa, the Reaper. And then I think we have a little bit of Dean and Sam as yeah, well. Yeah, Sam talking to mm-hmm. comatose Dean. Yes. Oh, that like, makes me so sad. He has that mm-hmm. really pitiful line. We were just starting to be brothers again. Yeah. And I'm like, Sammy, let then, me hug you. And we also get the line when we have Dean watching Sam Sam there that kind of sets up the final scene where Dean is like thanks for not giving up on me because at this yeah. point he yeah. had thought like John was just ready to let him die yeah. I wanted to wait till this point to talk about a body experiences oh yeah, yeah yeah because of what Sam says because I think a lot of people don't realize like obviously when people are comatose there are different experiences right but when people are dying one of the last things to go is their hearing right so they always say like talk to people right right before they pass or if they're in comas but for the sake of this i'm going to combine out-of-body experiences and near-death experiences because we're specifically talking about when an out-of-body experience is due to a near-death experience right they're very strongly related It may be about the cognitive function that's still going on in their brain. So if they still have cognitive function, they may be able to process the hearing, but their brain power, there's not enough to do anything more than that. Sometimes it's like dreaming. I'll go into what some common things are, but a lot of times it's processing some of what's naturally there, but then also like a dreamlike state where your brain is filling in gaps or creating things because it's still active. Right. And another big cause of it can be lack of blood flow to the brain, lack of oxygen, um, those making your brain respond in different ways. Hmm. Uh, Because when you have these experiences, your body is injured. So I have a question. Mm -hmm. Supposedly, when you're dying or about to die, Mm -hmm. like your brain essentially releases a shitload of DMT. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if that is related to the sort of near-death experience, out-of-body shit. It would make sense. Yeah, I think it... That's why I think it often differs what you might Uh experience. But I think that's one of the things that adds to it. Right. Same with, like, the shock. And then also the adrenaline running through your system, but your brain can't see anything. Mm -hmm. So it's just really going wild. And I did want to quote Hemingway, one of my favorite problematic authors. Um, God. He, in the First World War, I believe, he almost died in a battle. Yeah. And he said, dying is a very simple thing. I've looked at death and really I know... If I should have died, it would have been very easy, quite the easiest thing I ever did. Yeah. In that moment. But one of the interesting things are what a lot of people experience during this time. There's obviously the bright light phenomenon, disoriented time and space, especially since you're not seeing. Right. And your brain may be going in and out of functioning. Right. You also can see loved ones or spiritual beings. Right. Usually it's something you would believe in or at least have grown up with the lore of. Yeah, like with the DMT experience, there's Mm -hmm. like the weird humanoid thing that people see. Yeah, and and you might have the life flashing before your eyes experience. um, It's a very real thing. And what's interesting, these can be very positive or very negative depending on what you see. Right. They may traumatize you in a new way. It may be hard to function, especially you could hear things you didn't want to hear and have to still be in the body and live with that. Or it can be very positive. It could be a part where you find kind of feel connected to other things. 
especially if you're able to like see loved ones Mm -hmm. whether they're alive or dead it's this weirdly deep meditative state that sometimes we attribute people to a higher understanding um but it's so hard to tell because genuinely your body is trying to function in this incredibly difficult time and it causes all of these weird outcomes so to me it's always interesting hearing because people do have experiences like dean in this right right yeah and i think you kind of individually have to see what you believe is real or not or just genuinely like enjoy the experience of seeing how different people respond well, I imagine, like, the way that you're going to would probably, like, someone who is, like, dying full of morphine in a hospital is mm. probably going to have a lot better experience than someone, like, drowning in a pool. That's like, very true. Right, yeah. yeah. So, but, Drowning uh, is, like, one of the most painful ways to die, apparently. Yes. I have a thing about near-death experiences. Yeah. If anyone is interested in them particularly, and I hope you enjoy genre TV if you're listening to this podcast, should definitely check out the show on Netflix, The OA. The whole thing is about near-death experience and what happens to people when they come back from a near-death experience and how it Mm -hmm. affects their day-to-day life. Really cool, really weird fucking show. Yes, I agree. I actually, I really like the OA. I found it so perfectly emotionally devastating in, like, the best way. The only thing that stinks about, like, liking the OA is, like, the one season every, like, three years that they seem to do. Right. There's only the two seasons, and who knows if they'll make another Uh, one, even though it ended on, like, a weird cliffhanger. I'm so in love with the scene where Tessa is talking to Dean about if he's going to decide to stay and become potentially an angry spirit Mm -hmm. or if he's going to pass on. I really like that scene. I like that scene for two reasons. We get like a two for a two and one. We get like the world building. Buy one, get one free. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Bugger. Like I was talking earlier about how I wanted more world building. Like this is an example of world building. We've what seen like a thousand ghosts now. (laughs) So like approximately. Approximately. So now we like actually get like kind of confirmation of how those ghosts Mm -hmm. come to be. I'm very curious how consistent the story is gonna stay. Mm, but mm, mm-hmm. um, then also we are getting then the narrative of Dean and his mortality as mm-hmm. well. Like, yeah. In one. thought it was very good. Yeah. And considering, um, you know, monstrosity versus humanity, mm-hmm. uh, like that's that's a theme that you can't get away from in a show about monsters. Yes. And like where that line is and like who can cross that line and then come back or like who can straddle that line. I don't know. It's it's a really interesting question to think about. Mm-hmm. Just in general, I'm so in love with monster narrative. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, I'm such a nerd. I'm no. thinking a lot about like my favorite are, mm-hmm. I've said before, vampires and werewolves. Mm-hmm. I love thinking about like where the line is there. And I think it's interesting that they make a point here to say that almost always ghosts become monsters mm-hmm. though luckily dean doesn't have to find this out because we again get some vent lint so vent <laughs> yeah i i slurped and gurped that mm-hmm. <laughs> a long one yeah um just before we get to that i do it just occurred to me that you said a long one after i said slurped and gurped oh, gross I, my brain is still processing now i'm upset because <laughs> i remember that you said that actor is hot and i'm just mm-hmm. like deeply unsettled (laughs) i've wear taste yeah Um. clearly (laughs) but i also really like the parallel between dean the potential for him to become his dad because i think when she says like this will drive you insane if you're not able to let go and move on Uh i think the exact same thing happened with his father and the idea of revenge and so even though his father's not a vengeful spirit or a spirit obviously just having him having committed his whole life to this and never being able to let go and accept his sons as they are or the world as it is yes um is him becoming the monster and the potential for dean to yes. do the same yes yeah. that's what we're talking about it's those those fucking the seven monster theses mm-hmm. my guy and it what's really- his fucking name why can i not remember i never remember it it's on the it's on the website yeah anyway seven monster theses that's what we're talking about anyway it actually, like, I really enjoyed that line, and I kind of like how the series is kind of dealing with revenge now, mm-hmm. because we see, too, like, 
because like literally um john's character is getting eaten alive by this revenge and it's shown in a reflection in sam's character too where sam is not letting himself get pushed to that point but what i find really interesting is having just finished um season one i remembered having a conversation where i felt like revenge had to be finalized in this series like Mm. every time someone wrongs somebody like they get their comeuppance like it always happens so now for the series to kind of like swerve and be like you know revenge will ruin you i'm like yeah i like that we've evolved yeah. mm-hmm. the next line is so freaking infuriating though which one when dean comes back and the doctor says there must be some kind of angel watching mm-hmm. over you and i'm like there is not <laughs> this is the least john could do yeah and it's funny that it was literally a demon two demons yeah. i would say <laughs> yeah i do like that it feels like a joke because of the idea of demons being the one that saves him but maybe if you're a conspiracy theorist with this show and angels can travel across time maybe it's also partially oh yeah that's something that i think you can read into mm-hmm. it if you didn't have the knowledge that angels come into the narrative because of the writer's strike this feels like a seed planted early yes. for that yeah, yeah. It does. and same in season one with faith yeah interesting also that that episode was centered around a reaper and dean dying and all that stuff yeah and i think it's interesting to think of demons and obviously we think of them as evil and i don't disagree but in this show specifically like who is the monster if you're doing this to save someone and does that make it still evil it's already been proven that the demon is the better dad so oh my god true (laughs) papa demon oh my god stop take it over papa winchester (laughs) it'll never i love how they remind you of that scene when john is saying his Mm -hmm. bit finally to dean because he's he what no sorry just when dean's like is this really you yeah because when he's finally saying something good dean is like oh this is probably the demon yeah he like looks scared for a second this whole scene is not only a callback to like that moment but Mm -hmm. also the demon had said like these things to dean yeah well and dean had said them to john earlier as well you know i have i have so many feelings about this scene because it's so great for dean to have his father acknowledge everything that Mm -hmm. dean has done and to actually say the words i'm sorry yeah. Like they he, they've never come out of John's mouth the whole time that we have seen him interact with his sons. Mm-hmm. He fucking deserves that apology and that yes. validation. But then he just fucking turns around and right after he's like, "Oh, I've been putting too much on you. You shouldn't have had to do all this shit." Then he turns around and does it again. Yeah. Take he turns around and immediately is like, "Got to take care of Sammy." Mm-hmm. And then, you know, whatever he whispers in his ear that you don't know about yet, Jordan. I know exactly what he said. Okay. He said, "Ravioli, ravioli, <laughs> give me the formula." <laughs> Got him. Got him. Got it. <laughs> yeah, and and you know, and the other thing about that scene is that he doesn't extend this generosity mm-hmm. of spirit to Sam. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right before then, he's like dismissing him from the room. Like yeah. you can't. Like that would be a good time to make peace with your mm-hmm. other son too, the one that you have a really contentious relationship yes. with. And, and like after he just spent all this time harassing him and telling him all this crap was mm-hmm. his fault. I would have been fine if he had sent him away if there was a scene previously where he had kind of done this with Sam. Right. Days. Mm-hmm. Suppose, like, a couple of days. A couple of days to do this. Mm-hmm. Right. And also like right after he makes the deal and he comes back to say his final words to Dean or Sam. That would have been a good time to tell Sam exactly what he did. Yes. Mm-hmm. And just be like, I don't have a lot of time. We should just. Yeah. Like, why not yeah. come clean then? I just, what I hate the most about John is his reluctance to 
ever be honest with either Sam or Dean in any capacity. Fucking hate it. Honestly, he's so emotionally a child that I almost am like, (laughs) even if like that trauma like had never happened and they had lost their mom, I could not see him being a good father. Never. Yeah. Never. So it takes about five times of being told a positive thing for to kind of overwrite the negative you've been told. Yeah. And so with him being able to say once one positive thing, I'm like, that's the fucking bare minimum. It doesn't count. It doesn't. Yeah. And I think more parents need to be told that and recognize that. Two things I have to say. First, the whole, of course, telling him to take care of Sam Mm -hmm. thing really pissed me off because it's like a passing of the baton, but like you pass that baton and you've never been there. Yes. Right. Second is with the whole telling five things for something to, you know, develop in your mind as like a positive. He tells Dean this Mm -hmm. knowing he's going to die. There's also then that there's no follow through from him. He Mm -hmm. knows, oh, I'm going to tell him because like in his mind, he'll never see him again. So Mm -hmm. he doesn't have to be a good parent like yeah right i don't know it just was real shitty right well and in that moment it's super infantilizing to sam as well as if sam mm-hmm. can't make his own adult decisions mm-hmm. and any good he did from apologizing to dean is just completely overwritten by him returning to the opening scenes of the show where he literally gives sam bodily to mm-hmm. dean and is like yes. take care take care of him yeah. they completely completely gone backwards he could have like even just have at least said like you guys take care of each other yeah right yeah but of course no everything has to be on dean even though he's so sorry that everything had to be on dean and it wasn't fair but keep doing that at least fucking hate him episode (laughs) even though like he had put everything on dean this episode again like faith proves that sam is a pretty good brother like he's yeah Yeah. anything for dean as well yeah and it always red flags to me toxic parents will put a hierarchy with their children right and like make one responsible for the other and it reminds me of that family that's like 18 and counting or whatever the fuck god like they totally did that and we see how that's turning out in the news so i'm just like thank god he only has two children to right oh my god I didn't actually write anything down about it for whatever mm-hmm. reason, but I'm remembering now that during the boiler room scene, there's a bit of dialogue between the yellow-eyed demon and John about the special children oh, and yes, like yes. all of that. And I wanted to know what you made of it, Jordan, because obviously mm-hmm. Allie and I know what that's about. But So like I had thoughts about that and I was kind of wondering... I think I had made a joke about them being like half demon mm-hmm. like in the last season I'm like I don't even remember you saying that oh. so I'm glad you repeated it yeah <laughs> and I was like oh is Sam not actually John's child oh that's right that's right I do remember you saying that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. he really is Papa demon Ugh. anyways <laughs> so yeah I was Ugh. like Either that or, like, he maybe had just, like, magically put demon powers a la charmed in in the children instead of, I don't know, being some, like, weird demon insemination shit. Hopefully the show doesn't go there. (laughs) But... Yeah, that's kind of, like, what I took away from it is, like, there's some kind of, like, yeah. demonic possession yeah. or powers. What do, you, what do you make of the fact that John hasn't been honest about that with Sam or Dean? Well, for one, absolutely not surprised. Uh, right, of course. Well, because, like, we've seen it from the episode with Missouri. Right. That he's known about this, and in my head, probably known about it much longer mm. than that. Right. Uh, it's so frustrating because, like, that's the one thing I thought that this episode really needed was that final moment with Sam as well, like knowing he's going to die. So he's going to yeah. also have a final talk with Sam and he's going to kind of, you know, try and put an end to like the contentious relationship that they have. Mm-hmm. But then also explain to Sam everything that he knows about Sam's powers. Right. Not only does he know about Sam's powers, anytime it's been brought up, he's like kind of gaslit Sam a yeah. little bit like, oh, you have psychic powers. Right. This one was a little bit better because he's just like, well, anything's possible. But yeah. Can we talk about that coffee cup? 
Yeah, I love that slow-mo coffee cup. And you know what's incredible to me about it is that it lands on its base. That's why I can't get over. I am notorious about spilling things, dropping things all the fucking time. That's happened to me like maybe once. To have it land perfectly, how many shots did they take? How many? All I have to say is we talked about the intro being very reminiscent of Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> oh my god, and this, the slow-mo coffee is like so, so Grey's. And then they just need the song that always plays. Oh my god, <laughs> wait, what is the name of it? Uh, a Place like, Where Only We Know? or No, that's, no, that's a different one. Chasing Cars. Chasing oh. Cars, that's it. Yeah, I was expecting Chasing Cars to play as the cup dropped and John slowly falls on oh the my floor. Gosh. <laughs> Ugh. Doctor. We need a doctor. doctor. I did like how John had been out of the room before, then talks to Sam, and then he's not like laying in bed. He's just like passed out on the floor like he had tried to get out of bed. Like, I don't know the positioning logic with all of this. I was hoping he would just, like, break both of his legs as he falls, and I don't know. Yeah, I want to see the demon throw him off a building. Like, give us some retribution for the show we've had to watch. I'm interested in, like, they did show, like, a big blood stain, like, on his chest, like, in the middle of his chest. I'm interested in, like, are they trying to indicate that he just ripped open some previous wounds, or, like, I don't know, reached in there and gave him a little heart squeeze, or, like, what's going on he's bloodier than from this than the fucking car crash <laughs> which is still an issue to me because dean's in the safest place and he's yeah, the most that was fucked. my thought too john would be the one who would probably have yes! killed in that right i can't get over it and i think yeah. the reason that dean's in worse shape is because he was really badly injured to begin with yes yes that's right like, oh i right forgot before that. yeah he was like bleeding to death i just thought he was a little the bitch. wreck what did you say? I thought he was a little bitch. I'm gonna fucking fight you, Allie. <laughs> My whole goal today has been to make Jasper angry. I'm gonna fucking so fight that we you. can fight. Don't talk about my son like that. My son. My son. <laughs> yeah, when we die, I'm gonna be whispering, I'm str- I'm not straight. And Jasper's going to be going, My son. <laughs> That's what our ghosts will do for the rest of eternity. I'm just gonna like hang out and aggravate people while they watch Supernatural. <laughs> Are we about ready to talk about the fan fiction? Oh yeah, absolutely. And I already have it pulled up. I'm Ooh. prepared today. Mm-hmm. For today, I picked this fic called And Death Said Let There Be Light by Infernification. Summary, Dean Winchester is dead, and this time it's permanent. Neither heaven or hell want the risk of accepting his soul, so death decides to make Dean one of his. Characters are Dean Winchester, Death, Tessa, Castiel, and Sam Winchester. And here's some additional tags. Reaper Dean, Death Dean, Horseman Dean, kind of a mix of those. Don't read this for Dean Cass. That's a long way off. Dean working out who he is, self-confidence issues, major character death is off-screen, panic attacks, and torture. And this one I would characterize as a lesser-known fic because it's under 5,000 hits. It isn't complete. There's only four chapters, and it's from 2014, so it won't be completed. But I'm really interested in um, this particular trope. Um, because I, I've seen it enough that I can confidently mm-hmm. say that it's a trope of, like, Dean Winchester becoming the embodiment of death or becoming mm-hmm. a reaper I love himself. that idea. I think it's a really cool one because of the way death is mm-hmm. as a concept yeah. in this whole mm-hmm. show and the exploration, like, deep dives into heaven mm-hmm. and hell and the afterlife uh, in other capacities. and That's fantastic. I, like I that agree. Idea. How would we rate the episode? While John was absolutely infuriating in this episode, this episode was a really good watch. Yeah. I'm going to give it a 4.5. And the only reason I'm knocking a 0.5 down is I really wish we would have gotten a conversation between John and Sam. If we had gotten that, this would have been like chef's kiss. I'm going to give it 4.5 sassy reapers. (laughs) What about you, Allie? I'm also giving it 4.5. On positive, we have some hot men. Ugh. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just have hot to John to see men. Yeah, what the fuck? <laughs> I'm mostly joking about the demon, not about John. Negatives, though, we have 
redemption arc for John. So that's why I'm taking off a half a yeah, point. Su- just to pseudo be petty. Anyway. Died. And I'm going to give it 4.5 descending helicopters. Incredible. I actually am going to go a bit lower mm. and give it a 4 to 5 perfectly balanced styrofoam coffee cups. Because like a lot of my issues with this episode are just about like just the feel of it and Mm -hmm. and I don't even mean like the tone because I think it hits the tone correctly Mm -hmm. it's just something about sort of mentioned like the the emptiness of the Mm -hmm. hospital even in the scenes that are from Sam's perspective Mm -hmm. just like the weird lack of other ghosts or spirits which I wasn't super into and like I understand that they're already like budgeting for the honestly pretty good looking like special effects with like the reaper Mm -hmm. coming around and snatching people the pacing is really weird for me i I find myself kind of like in and out of paying attention now granted i have adhd (laughs) but i don't know like there's something about it that's too calm it's Mm -hmm. like when you're listening at like 7 30 in the morning to bbc world news on npr kind of vibe where i'm just like a little too chilled out i guess but they're not trying to be chill yeah at first I was like, oh, maybe the tone is, like, somber, but it was not somber. No. It was, yeah, there wasn't a sense of urgency, which is so weird, because they were, like, literally on a time limit. Yeah, 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 all of their actions reflect a sense of urgency, but that's not reflected in, like, the pacing mm-hmm. or, like, anything, to be honest. Yeah, and I think a lot of that has to do, like, it was kind of hard to talk about, like, the demon summoning scene. Because, like, Mm. this episode flips around a lot. Yeah. They don't, like, finish a thought. They get, like, halfway through a scene again somewhere else. It's weird. Yeah, and I think we talked about having that same kind of issue with, I think it was episode 21 in season one, Mm -hmm. where it was sort of split between John doing John things with Meg and them just kind of hanging around and waiting. And it flashed between them too often to, like, develop the story. Exactly. And I think that was part of what made this episode Mm -hmm. a little weird for me because, like, Sam isn't just at the hospital. He also goes to the junkyard and Bobby's there. And then we have all these scenes in the boiler room. And then Dean's doing all this stuff. And then there's, like, uh, all the shit, like, code blue, like, constantly. Mm -hmm. The hospital thing. So it's just, it was just a little all over the place for me. um with like how when if you're gonna do that like switching between scenes it needs to be done kind of like game of thrones and i'm not talking about the series i'm talking about the books where like it switches between a lot of characters but each chapter is memorable and substantial Mm. well yeah and that's because the chapters stick to one perspective exactly it's just like you know this is a brienne of tarth chapter this is a Tyrion chapter or whatever yeah yeah no i agree like, point of view changes are happen way too often in this episode. I, I just, you know, it gets confusing when you have more than an A and a B plot. Yes. You know, like, once you throw in a third and a fourth thing, it, it's just too much. And now I feel like I'm, like, shitting on this episode, like, a lot. But, like, I did, I do like it. I, I think it hits a lot of the right beats. And I, I love how it's not revealed to you what John has said. And you just sort of have to sit with that yes. knowledge, like, wondering about it. And I also like that John dies. And mm-hmm. I think I, I really love how they ended on the specific time of his death. I don't know if it's just like my my poet brain getting really excited. But I think that's just a really interesting way to exit an episode. Also makes the scene with the younger girl dying make a lot more sense, too. Mm-hmm. 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 You guys ready for my predictions? Always. Yes. What do you think will happen next time? I knew that John was probably going to die in this episode because, like, we need the boys to get back to being the boys and not yeah. the family. Um, <laughs> Fuck John. So I think now it's going to be kind of a revenge plot they're gonna i think they're gonna go find bobby and come up with a plan on how to get possibly the revolver back or if not the revolver then maybe another way to if not kill to trap the yellow eyed demon mm-hmm. so and also i'm ready for more answers on these freaking kids <laughs> i've been through like what 24 episodes now 23 right 23, yeah and i still like don't know anything jordan's like give me the special children yes exactly 
I love the special children. <laughs> Mwah, chef kiss. Thanks for tuning in to On the Road with Supernatural. Our theme music was composed by Anthony Ployhar, and special thanks to Sophia London for our logo. If you're having fun, hit us up on Tumblr, Instagram, or Twitter at OTR Supernatural, or contact us by email at ontheroadwithsupernatural at gmail.com with any questions or feedback. That's all for today. See you next time in Medford, Wisconsin. Bye. Bye. Bye.